Pastor David Jeremiah may be a giant in broadcasting, but he's at the center of the same kind of book buying scheme that led to the downfall of Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill. That's just one of the many stories related to finances and ministry that we'll be discussing today. Welcome to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's, and today I'm going to be speaking with Warren Cole Smith, president of the donor watchdog group, Ministry Watch. He's also former vice president at World News Group and former vice president at the Colson Center. And he's someone who's been investigating and writing about the evangelical church and ministries for decades. Today, we're going to be talking about a book buying scheme by Pastor David Jeremiah and why, despite this scheme, David Jeremiah was just inducted into the National Religious Broadcasters Hall of Fame. We're also going to be exploring many other issues within the evangelical church, like how the Financial Watchdog, the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, or ECFA, has in many ways failed to do its job. Warren has done some incredible research on that spanning decades, and I think you'll be really surprised by some of the information that he presents. We're also going to look at why Wycliffe Associates is in hot water for some claims it's made, and why Wycliffe is now resigning from the ECFA. There's also a story about how the New York Attorney General has warned televangelist Jim Baker about a product that he's promoting. But before we get into all that, I want to just take a minute to mention the sponsors of this podcast, Judson University, Marquardt of Barrington, and the Illinois Family Institute. And by the way, uh, Judson University has recently announced its speaker for its next World Leaders Forum that will be held on October 20th at the Renaissance Schomburg Convention Center. And the speaker is General David Petraeus, a four-star general and former director of the CIA. For more information, just go to judsonu.edu. Also, if you're in the market for a new or used car, I encourage you to check out my friends at marcourtbuick.com. As I've mentioned before, Dan Marcourt is a friend of mine. He's also a fellow believer. And if you're looking for a dealership where you can expect honesty, integrity, and transparency, just go to Marquardt Buick, spelled M-A-R-Q-U-A-R-D-T dot com. Well, I am so excited to have Warren Cole Smith with me today. Again, Warren has an incredible history of investigative journalism within the evangelical world. So I feel like I'm speaking to a very kindred spirit. Warren, welcome. Great to be with you. Yeah, likewise, Julie. Thank you very much for having me on, and I agree. It's, um, we're, we're doing a lot of the same work here, and it's a lot of fun to do it together. Yeah, and there's not a whole lot of us doing it, so it's kind of a small group, and uh, I feel mm-hmm. like you've been a real encouragement and, and help as we do some investigations. So, again, really thrilled to be with you. And from what I understand, you last week were at National Religious Broadcasters, correct? Yeah, it's actually been two weeks ago now that um, that NRB took place, um, but, but it lasted the entire week and, and did spill over into the weekend a little bit. So I guess you could say last week in some ways. The um, yeah, it was um, it's, a, it's the largest gathering of religious broadcasters in the country. Though I should say that for the last couple of years, and we can talk about why, Julie, if you'd like, the attendance has been way way down. NRB has fallen on hard times. Well, it has actually. Last year, I reported how it almost went bankrupt. Um, and despite the fact that it's one of the key members of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability, ECFA, uh, that was happening and wasn't flagged for that. Um, but there's other reasons for that, too. I mean, because I, I think just the whole broadcasting world is changing. It's shifting, isn't it? Well, it is. And, you know, I started going to NRB meetings uh, 
uh, golly, probably 20 years ago. I live in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they had uh, one of their annual meetings here in Charlotte. That's probably the first one ever I ever went to, and it was probably pretty close to 20 years ago. And there were easily five to 6,000 people there. It was at the Charlotte Convention Center. I remember it well. The place was packed. The entire floor was just filled with exhibitors. And um, it's just no longer the case. Uh, you know, they, they held it this year at Opryland USA, which is uh, the same location that they've been holding it for the last eight or ten years. So you're able to get – well, I, t- I take that back. They were on the West Coast last year. But other than a couple of years in other places, they've mostly been at Opryland. So you're able to get a really good sense of, you know, how many people are there versus the year before because you're in the same venue, same space, mm-hmm. and you can kind of tell. And the, and the attendance was way, way down. Changes in the broadcast industry, changes in broadcasters. You've got – you know, organizations like the Trinity Broadcasting Network and the Inspiration Network that have that have changed in philosophy. A lot of prosperity gospel people were they tried to keep out of NRB for a while, and I'm not sure that they're trying as hard now as they used to. So it's just a, it's just kind of a weird and strange uh, season to be a religious broadcaster in this country. Well, it was weird and strange when I used to go to it. I thought about five or six years ago, uh, a lot of when I was with Moody Radio, I used to go and represent the the show that I was a part of up for debate. And I just remember coming in and just being like, wow, this is big business and a lot of glitz. And it just kind of, I don't know, it kind of struck me kind of funny at the same time. I met some people that, I mean, some that I still keep in touch with that I met for the first time there and just ended up being, uh, you know, just the kind of person that you connect with, uh, sisters in Christ uh, who are in broadcasting, and some of the, the talks were amazing, but I mean, it's kind of this mix. I never quite knew how to feel about it, because you see great ministries that are doing great work, and then you see others that you just kind of go, mm. I mean, do you feel that way, or is this just me? No, I think that's absolutely right. It is very um, diverse in, in that regard. Uh, and there's also a lot of international um, uh, uh, ministries that come to this country just for that event. Or they might come for a week, you know, a week or two a year and use NRB as uh, kind of the, um, the, the tentpole for their trip to the United States. A lot of those travelers did not come this year because of the coronavirus. So no, I don't want to blame everything, you know, all the down, down, um, the downtick in attendance on, you know, philosophy and the problems of NRB and the ECFA and ministry in general. There were some other real reasons, but but you're exactly right. I mean, NRB has always been kind of a big ten. I remember one year, for example, Julie, I I walked around the exhibit hall with my camera just taking pictures of the weird stuff. And you know, there was uh, you know there was Brigham Young University there, for example, wow. and of course. By any reasonable definition, the BYU would not be. You know, it's Mormon. It's part of the yeah. LDS Church. You know, as you know, Orthodox Christians, we would consider them to be a cult. And um, they were there. They now they didn't call themselves Brigham Young University. They called themselves some something else hmm. that kind of made it look like they were legit. And um, they, I, there was one guy selling a a sandwich press, you know, like the kind of sandwich press that you would make a panini out of, yeah. or maybe it almost looks like a waffle iron, yeah. except it had a picture of Jesus, oh, uh, in the, the, and he called it a grilled cheeses. Oh, that is press. so bad. <laughs> so and it, it is bad, and it was just though, you uh, know, I, I called it Jesus junk or Jesus mm. kitsch. Uh, was a, was a big part of what was happening at NRB. Hmm. Well, let's talk about Dr. David Jeremiah because I know uh, he at one point 
resigned from NRB, but it was kind of under some pressure because he had also been lost, well, lost his membership. I don't know if you want to say, was he kicked out of ECFA at that time, back in 2010? Well, my sources who asked to uh, not be on the record Mm -hmm. um, or not to be identified for, for, you know, for reasons, and I tend to, I don't always honor that, but uh, whenever someone's livelihood is at risk, I will often honor that, mm-hmm. and, um, and, but, but uh, you know, these are such sources that I trust tell me that David Jeremiah resigned voluntarily from the National Religious Broadcasters because they had to, volun- they had to resign from the um, ECFA. At, at that time, around 2010 or so, in order to be a member of the NRB, you had to be a member of the ECFA. That was one of the ways that the NRB at least attempted to um, de- to um, maintain financial integri- integrity of the broadcasters. You've got to remember, Julie, that if you go way back to the you know 70s, 80s, and 90s, there were a lot of scandals. The Jim and Tammy Faye Baker PTL scandal, the Jimmy Swaggart scandal. There were just lots and lots of broadcaster scandals, and so the NRB was feeling some pressure to put some standards in place um, for their members, and they, they chose one that they thought would work, which was he had to be an ECFA member. Well, David Jeremiah had to volunteer, became under review by the ECFA, and rather than get kicked out, it resigned voluntarily because of the book-buying scheme that you already alluded to. Yeah, and despite that, okay, fast forward to, to just this past NRB, he's inducted into yep. the Hall of Fame. This is like a huge deal. Very few people are in this elite group that's inducted to the, into the Hall of Fame. He's still not a member of the ECFA. He's not a member of any watchdog group that I know of, so I'm not sure how that happened because NRB still requires that you be a part of, what is it, either the, the ECFA or the Better Business Bureau has like a, a nonprofit um, organization that you could be a part of. That's right. He's not a part of yep. either of those, yet somehow he's getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. Let's rewind and talk about what happened with this book buying scheme and why you know, a lot of people, including Dan Busby of the ECFA, who's not somebody that criticizes the members of the ECFA very easily. In fact, I've been pretty frustrated mm-hmm. with him that he hasn't been uh, more stringent in holding people to ECFA standards. But in this particular case, he said this was unethical and deceptive. And to my knowledge, Jeremiah never apologized for it. In fact, I don't even know if he's still doing it. Well, I've been told that he's not still doing it, but he certainly did it for a while. Um, You know, in fact, uh, just to go back and just a real quick history, Mm -hmm. uh, around 2007, 8, 9, and 10, um, there, he he was doing this. He he did it on a series of books. Uh, I've got this. I've got the information that he was doing it from a former chief financial officer named George Hale, who um, had courageously mm-hmm. um, commented and sent me documents and records so, so that I could verify this. Um, but so this happened for two or three years. Uh, it's worth noting that um, David Jeremiah's. Um, uh, agent, his literary agent, is a man named Celie Yates. Mm-hmm. Celie Yates is also the chairman of the board, or at least he ha- he's been on the board for all along, but at different times he's been chairman of the board of David Jeremiah's Turning Point Ministry. So there's, uh, there, there's that relationship as well. And Celie Yates, by the way, is, was also a literary agent for others like Mark Driscoll that engaged in this book-buying scheme. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, go back to 2007, 8, 9, and 10, uh, David Jeremiah involved, was involved in this book buying scheme, which basically meant that they bought 
books in order to make um, through retail outlets at full price, at full retail price, because it, it made the sales of their book look like they were bigger than they actually were. Then they would use those books to uh, use as donor premiums, give away um, to, to people that donated uh, to the ministry. Um, this this is unethical and violate on on all kinds of levels. Number one, Julie, my ministry and your ministry, we will give away gifts to people who give us donations. That's a very common practice right. and considered to be completely ethical. But we are required to buy those books for the least possible price that we can. Mm-hmm. And that usually means using our author discount from the publisher if it's a book that we wrote ourselves. And so, but and David Jeremiah was clearly not doing that. Also, by buying them from bookstores all around the country, it, uh, if you will, bore false witness about how those books were being purchased, and it caused some of David Jeremiah's books to end up on bestseller lists. Well, he did that through about 2010. The ECFA found out about it. They put him under review. They probably, we, I can't say this for sure, so I want to be really careful, they probably were on the verge of either asking you know, David Jeremiah to leave the ECFA or change his, his practices. He chose to leave the ECFA rather than change his practices in 2010, and that is why he had to leave the NRB, which he'd been a member of for literally for decades, including um, he, had, he was actually scheduled to be a speaker at the upcoming NRB conference and had to... Um, had to resign from that speaker slot as well. Yeah, and just so people know, when you get your author discount, we're talking buying those books usually for about half what you can get them retail. So what Turning Point was doing is actually taking funds, donated funds, and paying twice as much for books as they needed to. And then on top of that, the royalties for these books are probably, I mean, you get a royalty on books that are sold retail, so that probably the the uh, writer of the book, Dr. David Jeremiah, he's getting a royalty on that, a commission, and his agent is getting a commission on that. And as you said, it's, it's driving up the New York, putting you on this New York Times bestseller list, whereas before, and I remember I talked to George Hale myself, and he said before they started doing this, Doc, David Jeremiah's, I, I, I'm reluctant to say doctor. He has an honorary doctorate from Cedarville. He's not really a doctor. Um, that's another issue, but <laughs> my understanding, right. yep. he does not have an earned doctorate, and yet he's using this title. Um, but yeah, I mean, before this happened, George Hale said, mm, really wasn't doing very well as far as book sales, and, and he wasn't getting big forwards on writing these books. Whenever you write a book, you often try to get, your agent tries to get you a forward with the publisher, and you try to get the biggest amount possible because often your books don't sell. In fact, 80% of books that are sold don't even make back their forward, but those 20% that do, do very, very well for the publishers. But here he's not getting very big forwards at all. Afterwards, he got like a $3 million advance on these books. That is a That's huge right. amount of money. And then he buys, what, a condo somewhere? Yeah, he does. He, this, again, all comes to me from George Hale, and I just want to you know, give uh, respect and honor to whom it is due, because George really showed a lot of courage to come forward with this information. Yeah, he, he told me that, uh, that, David, that he saw that he personally saw the check 
um, that David Jeremiah had received from a publisher called FaithWorks for $3 million. Now, I, I, you know, as a journalist, I'm reluctant to take someone's word um, uh, just, you know, without a copy of the check or some other documentation, which, of course, um, I couldn't get because David Jeremiah is not going to disclose that. But within months of when George Hale said David Jeremiah got this $3 million check, he bought a condominium on Coronado Island, which is uh, right outside of uh, San Diego. For those of you who know your Southern California geography, Coronado Island is sort of like a, you know, just like right next to San Diego. And of course, David Jeremiah's church, Shadow Mountain Church, is um, in San Diego. And David Jeremiah owns a house um, in San Diego already. So this is a second home that he owns on Coronado Island. He paid about $2 million for it. And I was able to get a copy of the uh, deed for that house. It was in the name of David Jeremiah and his wife and, and what's called the David Jeremiah Trust, of which they are the trustees. So um, they, they, they bought that, um, that condominium for about $2 million, which if you do the math, Julie, you get a $3 million advance from mm-hmm. your publisher, you pay your taxes, you pay Celia Yates, his commission, and you got about $2 million left over to buy something with. Mm-hmm. And it, that happened within weeks of when George Hale said that he had received a $3 million advance. So he still owns, as near as I can tell, he still owns that condominium today. I've been to several online uh, real estate sites like Zillow and others, Redfin, uh, and uh, the last transaction for that piece of real estate is that same transaction that I just mentioned in 2010. So I can only assume that uh, David Jeremiah owns that condo today. It's now worth about $2.4 million. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Well, um, why is it then that NRB would induct him into the Hall of Fame knowing all this? They must have known it wasn't a secret that ECFA was yeah. uh, basically dropping them and that they were dropped and they're still not a member. Turning Point still isn't a member of ECFA. Why on earth do they induct uh, David Jeremiah into the NRB Hall of Fame despite this? Well, I think there are a couple of reasons. I think one positive reason and one maybe not so positive reason. You know, the positive reason, Julie, and this is one of the ironies of this situation for me, mm-hmm. um, and is that he's a great communicator. Yeah. David Jeremiah, uh, you know, his organization does $50 million a year in income. It's on thousands of radio and television stations, not just around the country, but around the world. Uh, he has millions of listeners. Um, and, and, you know, it's one of the ironies uh, of all this. I never was able to get anyone from Turning Point to um, go on the record with me and chat with me about the reporting I was doing. But I called probably two dozen times. And during the two dozen times that I called, I would often be put on hold, and I would listen to him preach and, 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 as, as the hold music. <laughs> it was actually David Jeremiah's <laughs> preaching, and it's great stuff. I mean, I listen to mm-hmm. it, and I think, man, this is good stuff. It's biblical. Mm-hmm. W- you know, why, why would he do this? So, so I think one of the reasons he got inducted into the Hall of Fame is because He's a great communicator and a great preacher, and they, you know, and he probably, at one level, you know, deserves it. The other side of the coin, though, is, is as I just mentioned, they do about fifty million dollars a year in income. Mm-hmm. About twenty million dollars a year goes to what's called broadcast services, and you can find all of this on their nine, their form nine ninety statements. Now, it's not clear what broadcast services are. 
Um, it, because it's not break it, broken out, it just is listed as $20 million. But it's likely, I've, I've been studying a lot of you know broadcast ministries for many, many years, and I've been a part of a couple of broadcast ministries. Usually that's where you put the money that you spend on buying time on radio stations. Mm-hmm. You might also spend it on some of your syndicators and technical people as well. But probably the vast majority of that $20 million a year, and by the way, Julie, that goes back at least 10 years. Um, I've got. I've looked at their financials from 2010, and that number was about 18 million dollars, even in 2010. So it's been a close to 20 million dollars a year for more than a decade. That's 200 million dollars that is going to radio and television stations, most of whom are probably members of the NRB. So whenever they want to honor one of their own, they're going to look for the one that spends the most money with them. Wow. And there's a lot of honoring their own within NRB. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's right. It's like the people for the same organizations, the same small group. I'm like, isn't anybody else doing great work out there? But... Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of that. I'm I'm just curious: is Turning Point are they still filing 990s, or have they become a church? Yeah, no, they are filing 990s. Okay. Uh, they they I think because yeah, I, and I will have to give them credit for that. But Shadow Mountain Church, David Jeremiah's church, does not, and um, so I've not been able to really figure out how much David Jeremiah makes. Um, I do a salary survey every year, so I look mm-hmm. pretty you know around and, and just couldn't figure it out. Um, there, there is an interesting line, though, on the Turning Point 990s that they actually give money to Shadow Mountain Church. And I, I don't know why. I mean, I don't know. It, one possibility is that they're giving the amount of money to Shadow Mountain Church that David Jeremiah is accepting in, as salary from Shadow Mountain Church. I don't know if that's true or not. But if it is, it's a big number. I think one year that number was close to $500,000 that Turning Point Ministries had given to Shadow Mountain Church. But, but again, that's just a guess on my part, and I want to be really, really clear that I have you know, no uh, inside uh, information. But, but, but Turning Point does file 990s. Shadow Mountain does not. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of money going on in radio ministries. I've been looking at a 990 for a ministry, right? You know, one that people would know. I'm going to publish about it soon. But the amount of salary going to the preacher one year is like over 400000 And I'm trying yeah. to figure out what, what do they do? They have a full-time job where they preach, and then that's recorded, and then it's edited down for radio. What do they do, the preacher do, to deserve a salary? from the radio. It seems to me, I I know when I worked in radio, whatever I produced, because I had a full-time salary from the company that, well, or the ministry that was uh, paying my salary, they owned all of my content. But it's an interesting thing, the whole radio preacher thing, where they get to, the pastors get to own their own content and then uh, make money on top of that on their radio ministry. And Maybe another discussion for another day, because I want to get to some of these other issues. Uh, But ECFA, let's talk a little bit about that, because I know you have studied uh, some of this. In fact, it may be coming out in a a book not too long from now. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, A book that I'm working on that I'm tentatively, probably finally calling Faith-Based Fraud. They will have a good bit of information about the ECFA in it. That's right. It's going to be a great book. I can't wait for that to publish. But let's talk about ECFA, uh, because... Uh, issues there go back decades, and 
the start of ECFA, you're, you're actually the first one who opened my eyes to a lot of this because you've been uh, investigating the church a lot longer than I have. But let's talk about what started ECFA and kind of how things have developed where I think a lot of people think, if they haven't been reading my stuff or your stuff, they may think that this is a watchdog group that protects donors. But the truth is, that's not necessarily what's happening. No, that's not what's happening at all. And I will say in fairness to the ECFA, so I'll give them you know, a couple of brownie points before I start taking them away, <laughs> is that they don't, they don't pretend to be a watchdog group. They, they, you know, they're, they're pretty open about being a member organization that um, is not a watchdog. So you know, I, I will have to say that it, you know, in fairness to them, they're, they're at least honest about that. But in the eyes of the public, I think that many of us, or many people that may be even listening to us, Julie, think that the ECFA is, you know, is designed to sort of protect donors and to advocate for donors and to make sure that there really is financial integrity there. Because after all, financial accountability is in the name of the organization. So you would think that that would, you know, maybe be a part of what they do. But the reality is, is that the um, uh, Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability came into being in 1979, and it was not uh, because uh, it wanted to clean up the industry. It was because legislation was being introduced in Congress, uh, but particularly by a Texas congressman named Charlie Wilson. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie Charlie Wilson's War that starred Tom Hanks, you might get an idea of who Charlie Wilson was. But he was kind of a, a loud, um, boozing, and womanizing congressman from Texas, and he, but he was also a liberal. And um, they, in fact, they, he was sometimes called the liberal from Lufkin, uh, Lufkin, Texas. And um, he recognized that these evangelical ministries, especially the ones on the radio, were kind of were a threat. Uh, to, you know, because they were all more conservative, and he was liberal, and they would. Um, he he was in a unique position to kind of realize the power that Christian broadcasting had in communities in the South, because he's one of the few liberals in the South. So he was going to introduce legislation that um, was going to regulate the um, Christian broadcasting world. Well, a bunch of um, other uh, leaders in the Christian broadcasting world, along with Senator Mark Hatfield, who was a Christian member of the Senate, got together and said, you know, if you guys don't do something, um, Charlie Wilson's a pretty shrewd operator in Congress. He's going to get this law passed, and this is going to be big trouble. So that's when they founded the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability as a way to kind of send a message to the public that we don't need government regulation. We can police ourselves. And, um, by the way, about 150 charter members of the ECFA, including many organizations uh, whose names you would probably recognize, including Focus on the Family and Wycliffe Bible Translators. And I mention Wycliffe because Wycliffe Associates, uh, which used to be a part of Wycliffe Bible Translators, but is now a separate organization, recently resigned. And we can talk about that later if you want to, Julie. But yeah. the point is, is that the ECFA was founded to prevent government regulation, not because they cared about donors. And in fact, most of the big scandals of the 1980s related to televangelists, and I think about the P Jim and Tammy Faye Baker and the PTL scandal, that happened while they were members of the ECFA, and the ECFA was not able to do anything about it. Yeah, and Jim Baker, for those who are younger, I, I notice w this is a generational thing for us. Uh, yeah, and, right. You know, we're a little bit over 
50 even. Um, but we remember the PTL scandal. We remember Jim Baker. But a lot of younger people don't don't even know about this. But Jim Baker ended up going to prison for fraud. So, I mean, this was a major deal. And the whole entire time, he's a member of the ECFA who's supposedly looking over these financial statements or audits. They're not really audits. They're like reviews that are done and that's submitted by the PTL. They're, they're not noticing any of this going on until the thing hits headlines and then they pull their membership from PTL. But up until then, ECFA, they were making them, uh, PTL was a, a member in good standing, right? Well, that's exactly right, and you know, you don't have to go back a generation to see that over and over again. Recently, there was a scandal at Gospel for Asia, uh, and uh, Gospel for Asia, uh, which, which, you know, had to pay, uh, I think it was 35 to $40 million fine. Julie, right. I don't have that story right in front of me right now. They had to pay a fine. of mm-hmm. It was in the tens of millions of dollars. Right now, literally within the last two weeks, they've had a class action lawsuit filed against them. They were members of the ECFA when all of this happened. About six or seven years ago, I did a, a lot of reporting around Mars Hill Church and Mark Driscoll for the same book-buying scheme that you and I have been talking about relative to David Jeremiah. They were members of the ECFA when all of this was happening. Um, Willow Creek Church, which has been in the news, and you've been reporting about mm-hmm. this story, as have I, they were members of the ECFA. So, as again, was Harvest Bible Chapel. That's got to be the worst. I mean, massive, massive governance issues and financial issues there. And a pastor who's getting a million dollars a year from the church, and yet supposedly ECFA is, is at the same time saying, it's a reasonable salary what he's getting. We know it's private, and we know that none of the elders even know what it is, other than those on the executive committee. But it's all good, because ECFA says it's good. I mean, this is what was going on. And back before I published my expose on them, a month before it published, I went to ECFA. Dan Busby sent him emails, said, there's 20% of the budget, of the church's budget, that's a black budget. People, the, the comptroller of the church doesn't even know what's in there. You need to take a look at this. And you have this high-risk Bible fellowship, this... A group of 150 independent churches giving 5% of their donations, of their own money, to an organization, Harvest, that's supposed to be doing church planting. And I know that money from, from this Harvest Bible Fellowship went to a deer herd in Michigan for, you know, what looks like now just fun for, fun sport for James McDonald and high donors to go up there and shoot deer. I went to Dan Busby and and told him about this. They came in, did like a one-day review, and then said, Harvest is a, a member in good standing. I mean, that's yeah. what's going on. I mean, that's how bad it is. Yeah. Well, yeah, and again, let me just repeat that, you know, the ECFA doesn't pretend to be a watchdog group, and I will say that I'm glad that they publish written standards for behavior. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it allows people like you and me, Julie, to say, hey, wait a minute, this group is clearly in violation. Right. ECFA won't say that <laughs> these <laughs> groups are in violation, but at least it does give us. And I, and I'm, you know, and I did this in my own in my story on Wickwood, for example, that I did this past week. Yeah. At least it does give us an opportunity to say there is a bar, there is a standard. The group that set that standard doesn't enforce it, but at least we can see the standard and we can say as donors and as interested parties on the, you know, on the outside that um, this group, in the case of Harvest Bible Chapel or David Jeremiah or whomever, does not live up to that standard. So I'm not, I, I'm not saying that the ECFA should go away. I'm just saying that my, my warning to your listeners would be don't 
trust the ECFA to be a watchdog. Don't trust that little round circle that says the ECFA um, with the ECFA logo to be a good housekeeping seal of approval. It simply is not. Yeah. And, I, you know, I do wonder what the future is for the ECFA. I, there's been so much reporting on them being a rubber stamp and not enforcing their standards. I don't know. I, I guess I, I do wonder. I mean, I, I do like that they have standards, but I mean, if you're not going to enforce them, what's the point? Um, right. Yep. So, so I do I do wonder what the future of that organization is, but they've seemed to just weather these storms and, you know, piece after piece after piece comes out showing that they're doing a bad job, but it just doesn't seem to impact them, unless you're seeing something I'm not. No, I'm not. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thankful for Ministry Watch because you do protect donors and you do report on this stuff and uh, just really appreciate that. And just, you know, briefly, uh, I do want to get into the Wycliffe story and the Jim Baker story, but you gave up a job at, as vice president at the Colson Center, which is a pretty secure gig and an important job. And I love the Colson Center. I love what they do. And speaking of which, uh, another organization that I really appreciate who does similar work educating the public about important issues is the Illinois Family Institute. And I wanted to mention that an upcoming event that's sponsored by the Illinois Family Institute is an education forum that's going to be held on April 25th. That's going to be from 9.30 a.m. to 1 o'clock p.m. at the Church of Christian Liberty in Arlington Heights, Illinois. And speaking there will be Lenny Jarrett of the Heartland Institute and Brian Ray of the National Home Education Research Institute. So if you're considering other options for your kids' schooling other than government schools, I'd highly encourage you to make this event. For more information, go to illinoisfamily.org. But Warren, I was saying, you just recently came from the Colson Center to Ministry Watch to be the president of this organization. And that was a bold move. It really was. And I'm just, I'm, I'm grateful for it. But tell me, tell me why you did that. Why did you make a move from the Colson Center to be with this group, Ministry Watch, and really really give it a reboot and do some really important work. Well, I appreciate you saying that. It, you know, I, it, didn't, it, it didn't feel so bold to me, Julie. It felt like it was something that I was made to do, to be perfectly honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and to make a very long story short, more than 20 years ago when Ministry Watch um, uh, was founded by Rusty and Carol Leonard, uh, I was on the board. Um, I was a journalist at that time, and I was on the board of Ministry Watch. And so I fell in love with the ministry from the very beginning. I knew that they were doing great work and important work. And, um, but, you know, my career went in a different direction. I went to work for World Magazine for seven or eight years. Then I went to work, as you said, for the Colson Center for another four years. And honestly, I thought that um, I was, you know, that was going to be my last job uh, at the Colson Center because I, was, I had a great relationship with all the people there. I still love that ministry. As you said, you know, you loved it, and mm-hmm. I did too. Still a very warm spot in my heart for, for Chuck Colson and that ministry and John Stone Street and uh, who is the current leader there. Mm-hmm. But when Rusty called me, and uh, you know, probably now it's been about a year ago, and said, you know, Warren, we think we found some funding to kind of resurrect uh, Ministry Watch, because Ministry Watch had kind of fallen um, into uh, a quiet period where they were not doing a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Um, they were still maintaining their database, but that was about it. But Rusty called me and said, hey, we think that, um, you know, we might have found some funding. Would you be interested in sort of standing this organization up again? I, uh, you know, I I was. I was interested because it's the kind of work that I love to do. I think investigative journalism is important. 
I think it's um, especially uh, in this world that we live in today, Julie. You know, the, the 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 world is becoming increasingly secular, increasingly cynical, mm-hmm. uh, and increasingly skeptical of what happens in the church. And the reality is that they've got a right to be. Uh, they've got a right to be skeptical and cynical about what ha- what's happening in the church because we don't police our own. We when 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 bad operators, you know, start doing their thing. There should be folks within the church that stand up and say, that's not who we are. But unfortunately, that's not the case, and that's why I think the work that you're doing, the work that we're doing at Ministry Watch, some of the investigative journalism being done by other organizations is so vital in this day and age. And, you know, it's not my hope. I mean, the reason I do it is not just because, you know, I love digging up dirt. I really don't love digging up dirt. What I love, though, is the Church of Jesus Christ, mm. and I care deeply about the peace and the purity of the Church of Christ, and I just think that, you know, we ought to be jealous um, for, um, God, you know, God's reputation, for the Church's reputation, and that really ultimately is why I do what I do, and I'm sure you do what you do as well. Amen, amen, and I had the privilege of meeting Rusty and, and you in person uh, not too long ago yeah. and talking about our mutual passion to see the church restored and to see some of some of this house cleaning done. And uh, it was really a privilege. And I know Rusty's poured his life into what he's done at, at great sacrifice to himself, both uh, financially and just personally with his time and everything else. And you, just just what a golden heart he has. And um, I, yeah. I just love the ministry that you're doing. So so glad that you're doing it and so glad that God provided funding so that you could do it in a, in a more advanced capacity now. So really excited about that. Let's talk about Wycliffe because we have mentioned that. Um, and I know a lot of people, I know I actually have a, my husband's aunt was a lifetime. She, he has two aunts who are lifetime Wycliffe missionaries and developed New Testaments uh, in their original language for the people that they, they, lived among for years and years in Papua New Guinea. This is a wonderful ministry that has done wonderful work, yet now there's there's some issues, right, financially. Yeah, there, there, there sure are, and I want to be real clear with, uh, with, with you and also for myself, just to mm-hmm. get it clear straight in my own mind and for our listeners, you, mm-hmm. there are a number of organizations that are called, um, that have the word Wycliffe in their title. One is Wycliffe Bible translators, and Wycliffe Associates used to be a part of Wycliffe um, uh, Bible translators. They, 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 had a, they shared board members, and they were very closely uh, aligned. Wycliffe Bible translators is the organization that has been around uh, for, you know, probably 80 years now that has been actively involved in Bible translation. Wycliffe Associates is a, is a ministry that was founded out of Wycliffe um, Bible translators. It's also been around for decades, and it was one of the charter members of the ECFA uh, in 1979-80, one of those first 150. But but they are a separate organization, and Wycliffe Associates is the one that we're talking about today. Wycliffe Associates is a, is a ministry that probably has between 25 and $30 million in income, uh, it's a but, but it's also one of those organizations that has reclassified itself as a church. So we don't really know for sure exactly how much its leaders make and how much is spent on uh, various activities because we can't see 
their 990s anymore. They did they did that probably about 2012, 2013 are the latest 990s that we can see. But they do publish an annual report. Um, but where Wycliffe Associates let me got just into let trouble, me just mention on that just for yep. people who don't know this, the IRS requires every nonprofit to file 990s, which is a detailed report of, and it tells you how much has come in, how much, where they've spent what, and also what the top officers make of an organization. If they become a church, however, which has become more and more popular among Christian ministries, then they don't have to file 990s. And so you have all of these parachurch organizations, as we think of them normally, saying they're either a church or an association of churches, so they don't have to file 990s anymore. And as a donor, you can't see what's going on with them anymore because they're not filing, and these financial reports are not nearly as detailed as 990s, correct? That is absolutely correct. Uh, th- and, you know, and I hate to resort to shameless self-promotion, Julie, but we here at Ministry Watch are opposed to that practice, as I know you are too, mm-hmm. and, we, and I've written a paper about that, an article about that. It's on the Ministry Watch website. It, I think it, it's called When a Church is Not a Church, uh, and it, it would encourage people, to, if they really want to dive into these issues, that they should take a quick look at that, at that article. But Wycliffe Associates is one of those that is now classified itself as a church, even though it doesn't do Marian and Berrien and Sunday services and all the things that you would think of that a church should do. It is a sort of a classic parachurch organization. Uh, it does Bible translation. It also has made some claims about its process for Bible translation that many independent observers think are exaggerated. And this is where they ran into trouble with the ECFA. The ECFA has a standard that says that if, whenever you are making claims to, to potential donors, that you have to be able to back up those claims, that they have to be truthful and factual. And um, that's the seventh standard. The ECFA publishes seven standards, and then there are a number of sort of subsets under each one of those standards. Well, Wycliffe by, has violated a couple of those standards, or in the words of ECFA, ECFA has potentially violated. They got compliance. They started looking into it. Uh, they discovered that there was enough cause uh, to say that there were potential violations. So they were, on, they were uh, in that process when Wycliffe Associates decided to resign rather than either be kicked out or be forced to change their behavior. So they're gone. They're not a part of the... Um, of the ECFA any longer, even though they were one of the charter members and have been a member of the ECFA for right about 40 years. Mm. And, how, you know, if you're a donor, how do you, how do you process that? Well, if, you, if, if I'm the donor, mm-hmm. I mean, I can't, you know, I believe that, that everybody's, you know, financial stewardship is between them and God. But if they're turning to me for advice, I wouldn't give to that organization. I would say, Listen, this is an organization that's got some serious current problems. Uh, until they give some evidence that they have uh, that they're dealing with these problems, or some evidence that these problems don't exist, that may, you know it's possible that the mm-hmm. ECFA or even I, uh, you know, have, have got it wrong, mm-hmm. and that's fine. If we've got it wrong, they should come forward with that evidence and demonstrate that, no, 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 we're doing things by the book. We're doing things correctly. And if that, by the way, if that were to happen, I'd be happy to print that story as well as the other story. <laughs> you and I me both. But so far, what we have is an organization that is uh, appears to be violating the ethical standards of the ECFA, 
resigned their membership rather than come into compliance with those standards, that should be a very powerful, very strong warning signal to any donor that is giving money to Wickliffe Associates. Listen, if you get flagged by the ECFA... You have really got to be doing something. <laughs> what <I'm laughs> well, based on what we've already said, the reluctance of the ECFA to discipline its own members, I'm to say you've got a point there. <laughs> well, last but not least, uh, Jim Baker in trouble with the New York Attorney General. What's that all about? Yeah, uh, Jim Baker has been peddling this um, concoction. I don't even know what to call it uh, ex- exactly. Uh, it's a... Um, um, a, a silver solution is what he calls it. Um, it's supposed to be a naturopathic solution that um, that uh, this, this is what this woman that um, that was a guest on Jim Baker's program said. It totally eliminates, kills, deactivates uh, the uh, coronavirus within 12 hours. The coronavirus, the COVID-19 virus <sighs> that, that we're in the middle of. And right now, uh, the product is advertised at $80 oh, for four tubes of it or $125 for a variety pack that includes liquid, <laughs> gel, and lozenges. So there you have it. Well, uh, th- to make a long story <laughs> short, last week the New York Attorney General, Letitia James, said in a statement that um, that they should that 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 Jim and Tammy Baker's um, or not Tammy because Tammy passed away but Jim Baker's ministry should no longer be promoting this as a cure for the coronavirus or the COVID nineteen virus and not only that what over the weekend or maybe it was this morning the FDA and the Federal Trade Commission the Food and Drug Administration the Federal Trade Commission jointly issued warning letters. Uh, that uh, of about eight ministries, or about eight organizations, one of them was the Jim Baker Show. The products cited in these warning letters are teas, essential oils, tinctures, and colloidal silver. The FDA has previously warned that not only is colloidal silver not safe or effective for treating any disease or condition, but that it could even be dangerous. So this is the kind of stuff that... Jim Baker is now peddling, but he has been told to stop by not only the New York Attorney General, but also by the Federal Trade Commission and the Food and Drug Administration. Unbelievable. Just when you think yeah, Jim Baker is. may have reformed himself and uh, was on a little better path, then something like this happens. Although it wasn't that long ago, I was I saw a video of his TV program and he was touting some Cyrus coin or something related to President Trump. And yeah, just, I mean, sometimes it's it's disheartening to me that people would be that gullible. But apparently we are. And uh, well, apparently we are. Yeah. And I think that's the reason, Julie, it's important for us to, you know, I mean, there's a part of me that says, you know, as you and I were talking earlier, Jim Baker was part of another generation, another Mm -hmm. era. But, you know, there are new victims today. And, um, you know, we need to... um, we need to be uh, discerning ourselves. We need to have information so that when our and I got to tell you, it, it's it's our parents and our grandparents that are the ones that are being victimized by people like yes. Jim Baker. Yes. So you know, we need to have this information so that we can be responsible, not only stewards of our own money, but responsible family members and community members um, for people that that might be vulnerable to the kind of pitches that you know Jim Baker is is um, now propagating. 
even still. Yeah. Well, I had a good friend in college whose mother had given all this money to Jim Baker, life savings, and bought property down where, where he was headquartered, and it just devastating to them. And so this thing continues to go on, and we do need to be wise consumers. The Lord has given us money to steward well, and we need to uh, do that with good information. And Warren, you and Ministry Watch are making that possible. So thank you so much for joining me, and thank you for the work that you do. I just so appreciate it. Well, thank you for what you're doing, because we're, we're co-laborers in this together, and I really appreciate what you're doing and the opportunity to be on your program today. Thank you very much. No, you bet. Well, and thanks so much for listening to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's, and if you'd like to find me online, just go to julieroy's, spelled R-O-Y-S, dot com. Hope you have a great day, and God bless. <music>